I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. What's up, everybody? This is Soren Baker, the author with Gucci Mane of the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness and also the author of The History of Gangster Rap. Pick up both where you buy your books and you are listening to Rebel Radio. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, I'm sitting with Soren Baker, who it turns out, I think we figured out we've known each other at least 23, 24 years, maybe even longer. Um, Soren is an acclaimed hip-hop journalist, written for folks like the LA Times, Hip Hop DX, The Source. Um, he's also got his own YouTube channel, Unique Access Entertainment, where he is prolific with uh, interviews of rappers, uh, new rappers, old rappers. Um, this dude knows more about hip hop. I mean, I I feel like I know a lot about hip hop. It, it's nothing compared to what Soren's bringing to the table. Soren's also the author of the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness, uh, which is out now in, in bookstores. Um, he helps Gucci share secrets to success in business, his personal life, health, and relationships. I don't know how familiar you are with Gucci's story, but um, not too long ago, he was locked up in prison. He was uh, battling weight problems over 300 pounds. He was addicted to lean. His life was, um, you know, he was in bad shape and he has turned all that around. And, uh, and the book is, is an amazing read. Uh, it's a great bit of self-help as well as just, you know, some entertaining stories told in Gucci's voice. But in our interview, Soren shares his secrets to success, which is basically don't do any of that stuff that Gucci did. Um, keep working on his craft. And he's got uh, just an amazing story about how um, I'm going to coin a new phrase here. He said, uh, don't don't let fear interfere. I think that's brilliant. Maybe it's stupid. Um, let me know what you think. But let's get into the interview with Soren Baker. 
Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for making time for this. I'm, I'm excited to uh, to finally have you on the show. I know yeah. you got the uh, the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness out, Absolutely. which is dope. I've been reading it um, since uh, since I got it. It's really cool. I'm a I'm a huge. Um, I've always read sort of like self help, personal development stuff, and um, and I think this one is really good. It it does something in a really unique way. Um, but you know, a lot of important lessons and wisdom and all that. And so excited to talk about that and, uh, and just talk about your journey. You know, we've, I, I, I can't even remember when we went when we met, but it's been more than 20 years. I'm sure. It was um, the latest in 1997 when you were managing Dub C. Yeah. That was, sounds about right. That was the latest, but it was somewhere in that era. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably 96, 97, whatever. And so, you know, I've always followed your work, but you're also a really low-key dude. And so, uh, so like, you know, I've, you had a lot more going on than maybe, you know, than somebody would know just knowing you casually because you're not one to, like, you know, be all about that. And so uh, it's exciting to see the stuff you're doing and, and um, you know, going beyond. I mean, you know, I started as a, as a journalist, uh, and didn't take it that seriously. And you've like taken that, uh, to new heights and doing some exciting stuff. So I'm excited hey. to talk about it. All right. Well, let's do it. Nice. Um, well, start us off at the beginning. Uh, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? No, I don't. Uh, okay. I don't remember the first record I bought for myself because I didn't have, really any money to buy stuff for myself mm -hmm. so the first remember record i remember getting for christmas which was not the first record i bought or the first record i got for myself or any of that was uh open sesame by houdini uh that's cool you know houdini is a forgotten they're not forgotten, but they're they're underrated uh, in terms of the contributions they made and just the the quality of the music they were making really early in hip hop. I think they were ahead of their time and and kind of they they do they get a little bit forgotten when we talk about the old school. Yeah, well, Houdini was the first rap group to go platinum, so they are immensely popular, immensely sure. important, and I've seen them perform in different decades, which is amazing. That's dope. And seeing them perform in different cities, which is amazing. And I've got to interview and meet them. And that's also amazing. And they are, yeah, they were probably my first rap, first favorite rap group, probably. Because mm, nice. uh, as I learned and understood more about music, they're the first early rap group, I believe, that really had a lot of melody in their music that was yeah. original because of Larry Smith, their producer. So yeah, I yeah. would. I love Houdini, and I think that they deserve a lot more credit, respect, shine, however you want to look at it. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but when you see people like Nas, you know, with I Rule the World sampling Houdini and, and mm -hmm. stuff, you understand that their significance is definitely long-lasting and significant. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So how do you, I've, I've read, you know, I know you've written some... Um, autobiographical material uh and i want to talk about that a little bit but you know reading one of the things you you know you talked about um 
uh, you didn't, you know, I think, you know, I read you, you didn't, you didn't start out listening to hip hop. Right. And, uh, so tell me about how, how you discovered hip hop, how you were introduced to hip hop. Cause that's obviously changed your life and your career and, uh, yeah. And all of that. So, so my dad is my main musical influence prior to rap. Mm-hmm. And when my dad, my dad basically is a huge Beatles fan. He likes the Beatles. He likes Bob Dylan. He likes Bruce Springsteen. So he was more into what would now be, I guess, classic rock, I guess, kind of. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, you know, around when I was around 10, you know, rap had been popular for a little bit, but it wasn't any pervasive juggernaut like it is today. Right. But I just remember asking one of my friends, like, oh, what do you know about rap? Or I had heard several songs and I liked them all a lot. And one of my friends was like, dude, there's a lot of rap out there. And I had no idea. You know, I'm 10 years old. I'm in Maryland. I grew up right in between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. So it wasn't like I was in some big music industry mecca by any means. Mm -hmm. So he was like, oh, I'll make you a tape. There's lots of rap. And I was like, really? I'd love to hear it. And when my friend Tom Erdely made me this tape, I was 10 years old. And that literally changed my life because on that album, or on that tape, he had I Need a Beat by LL Cool J. It had the show, Dougie Fresh, and the Get Fresh mm-hmm. Crew with MC Ricky D. It had Nightmares by Dana Dane. It had Roxanne, Roxanne, UTFO. It had uh, Big Mouth um, by Houdini, uh, You Talk Too Much, Run DMC. Uh, I'm trying to remember all the songs. Roxanne, Roxanne, UTFO. So it was Curtis Blow, Basketball. And that tape really changed my life because with basketball, I was playing basketball and I love basketball and he referenced so many players and teams mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that really resonated with me. And then with Roxanne, Roxanne, I resonated with thinking that girls didn't like me or girls would keep missing me or whatever. Right. And then with all the other songs, especially, I resonated because of either the story the percussion or the scratching. Like I didn't understand what scratching was or how it was made or what they were doing, but I love the sonics of it, the sound of it. Mm-hmm. So all of this hit me in a way that um, I had never experienced music and I didn't know anything like it. And the rock that was more popular at the time, or at least the stuff I was listening to was about getting all the girls or was about going to these extravagant parties or living it up in LA or New York. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't close to doing any of that, but I could relate to basketball. I can relate to Roxanne, Roxanne. I can relate to having a nightmare, not knowing what's going on in the nightmare. I can relate to loving music. Like I need a beat. Mm -hmm. And I could apply all these things. You talk too much or big mouth. I could relate to all those things. And I just was like, man, this is phenomenal. Like, where and how can I get more? And that's the day I just started trying to get as much rap as I could in any way possible. And sure. that, and about two years later is when I was like, I got to figure out how to be involved in this somehow, some way. Mm. Um, yeah, man. And since that, since I was 10, 11, and 12, I've been on this mission that I'm still on. So. Amazing. This episode of Rebel Radio is brought to you by Fiverr.com. Let me tell you, if you're not using Fiverr, you are missing out on a huge pool of freelance talent that offers hundreds of digital services. 
if you're anything like our business, you know, we have needs pop up all the time. I have something right now. I just need some quick research done. It needs to be right and accurate and fast and affordable. You know, it's not something I'm going to go out and hire somebody for, but, but it just needs to be done right. And, you know, finding talent in this environment can be time consuming, frustrating, expensive, all that stuff. Fiverr makes it way easier. Um, we had this research need. I do a little bit of searching for virtual assistants and look for, you know, data entry and, and research. And I can read the reviews. I can uh, see the price. You know, it's all fast and easy and transparent. Takes out a lot of the guessing games um, as far as what I'm paying for, what I'm getting for it, all that stuff. Uh, they have great customer service. I haven't needed it, but um, but they're there 24/7 if if something comes up. And it for me and for you, it gives gives you access to a network of quality talent that you can count on. What's better than that? Check out Fiverr.com and get 10% off your first order by using my code Rebel Radio. That's only for listeners of Rebel Radio. You find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com code Rebel Radio. Again, that's Fiverr.com code Rebel Radio. So I, actually, I want to take a little detour, you know, to think about that. Like, you know, what you just said... Um, was that hip hop, uh, I think, spoke to people in a different way than other than the music before it, right? And some of it is just the fact that it's spoken word, that we we maybe relate to the lyrics differently than we do, you know, in a song, uh, you know, that's that's being sung. But and also, like I think, you know, at that time, there was this sense that hip hop is expressing things that that we're feeling and thinking, but aren't being expressed. Right. And this this idea of giving a voice to the voiceless, um, certainly as we got into more political rap or gangster rap or social conscious, you know, that kind of thing. But um, but I think in general, right, there was this idea that uh, we, you know, in the culture, we had these thoughts and feelings that that were the music was giving voice to. Um, is that still the role like i think that was a big part of why hip-hop exploded at the beginning um is that still the role that you think hip-hop plays in culture or how how do you think that that's changed i do believe that it's the same but i also think it's changed and evolved a little bit because back when you and i were getting falling in love or getting to be familiar with rap Rapper's Delight, I'm sure, is the first rap song I heard, even sure. though I didn't know it was rap at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a however old I would have been, less than 10, you know, so mm-hmm. I was nine or eight or seven or whatever it was when I would have heard it probably. But that song right there, you know, they're talking about a Thanksgiving dinner and macaroni and the food doesn't taste good. Like that was funny, but it was also true. Mm-hmm. And it was also a story. And yeah. then they also said the black, the red and the white, everybody was welcome to this party. So right there was this welcoming thing that I appreciated more later. I remember, oh, that's cool that they said that. But as I got older, I was always like, oh, well, not understanding who Sugar Hill Gang was in the grand scheme of things. I was always right, like, right, oh, right. Well, this super popular group is saying everybody could listen and have fun and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Which I, This was also when I was starting to understand what racism was and different things that 
are much deeper societal issues, but Rapper's Delight and Sugar Hill Gang gave me this early window into this world where theoretically everybody was welcome. Mm-hmm. And that really inspired and motivated me. And that I think is what was so powerful about rap from the 70s and, and all through the 80s is that it did speak and it was this voice of the voiceless because with other uh, political stuff like Bob Dylan had the Hurricane song, for instance, right. about Hurricane Carter. Yep. And that was a social commentary song and he was cussing in there and, and he used the N-word and all this other stuff. But that was him outside looking in. And that's mm-hmm. why when mm-hmm. Schooly D made his early records and mainly with PSK, which started gangster rap, to the way that we know it now, Schooly D made it first person. Whereas before Schooly D, everything with the message and even Curtis Blow with his story mm-hmm. rhyme or political commentary stuff like the breaks or even run EMC, theirs was always like, this is going on. It wasn't right. like me, it wasn't mm-hmm. I, yeah. or it wasn't I like Schooly D. Like I'm the one carrying the gun. I'm the one with the girl. I'm the one having sex. I'm the one smoking weed. I'm the one that's in the gang. All those mm-hmm. things that Schooly D said. And then Ice-T was six in the morning said it was me. I'm the one with the, you know, Adidas squeaking across the bathroom floor. I'm the one that's being chased by the cops. It wasn't Melly Mel looking at what was going on around him. And that gave it much more of an immediacy to me and made it more personal because that's why the show with Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh crew was so exciting because it was, mm-hmm. you know, we got six minutes till we're on. We got to do this. We got to do that. And Lottie Dottie was interesting because Slick Rick was rapping about his experience. So it was like mm-hmm. these great stories early on. And I think that that made it so interesting because these types of stories had never been delivered before because in rap, you can have five to 10 to 20 times the amount of words and it sure. doesn't have, it doesn't have to flow in the same way that a normal song theoretically does. So you can have, if a normal song has a hundred words, a rap song could have 700 words, mm. you know, just the pure volume allows the storytelling to evolve in a different manner. And that is a yeah. benefit. That's a huge benefit to rap especially when you have a supreme storyteller like a Dana Dane or like a LL Cool J or Slick Rick or Ice mm-hmm. Cube or Scarface. You know, they're able to tell these amazing stories that you get in other genres of music, but they're not as vivid or detailed to me because they're, they don't have the same capacity to, to be so. You might, mm-hmm. The emotion of a love song or the emotion of a heartbreak song or a blues song or a country song or a heartbreak or whatever is there but you might not get 700 details like you do in a rap song right you know it's, it's yeah, just no doubt. for sure and for sure. To, to bring it to today that still happens i think and it is the most important thing which is why it's still or finally recognized as a number one form of music consumption wise but <laughs> But the difference is, is that in the 70s and into the 80s, you know, if there were 100 rappers, it was easy to find them because there were 100. Right. Now, now there's 10,000 rappers. So it's the, the powers that be, the gatekeepers, the, 
all the things that kept music somewhat limited in all genres of music, but especially rap, those are all gone. All those barriers have been broken down more than ever. I mean, still some people don't have the internet and still some people don't have a computer, but relatively speaking, the barriers to overcome are essentially non-existent in the grand scheme of things compared to the 70s or 80s where it was taking an inordinate, inordinate amount of time, money, and effort to just make one song, let alone an EP or an album or a mixtape or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. I, I, I want to go back to you. So, you know, you said, you know, early on you knew this was going to be your path. Um, how'd you, what was the first thing you wrote? The first thing I ever wrote, uh, so when I went to college, I noticed they weren't writing about rap. So I went to Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, you know, my dad kind of was like, oh, you should try to, I know you have an interest in journalism and you should try to write for the school newspaper. And then I looked at it my uh, freshman year and I was like, oh, they don't write about rap. There we go. So I just went up to the newspaper office one day and I just said, hey, I see you guys don't write about rap. I, I want to write about rap for you. And they're like, well, go review some plays first. And I said, okay. So I reviewed one play. A play? And I, yeah. And oh, after, wow. I, after I reviewed the play, I just asked them, I said, okay, can I write about rap now? And they're like, sure. But I didn't know how anything worked. So I just reviewed an album I had, which was mm -hmm. LG and the Bulldogs, the Roxbury, mm -hmm. 02119. <laughs> album, I believe That's right. The right zip code. But I didn't know how it worked. I just reviewed some I had. And as I started going up to the office more, and I saw these packages laying around, and I saw the people with CDs and all this other stuff, I was like, oh, what are those? And then I started learning how it worked. But Ed OG is the first group I ever wrote about. Yeah, that's cool. For, you know, for my career. You know, I got in the sports department at the Cincinnati Post, and then that enabled me to be around the newspaper. And then I told him, I told Mike, I was like, hey, man, I want to write for the newspaper. Like, forget this Stringer stuff. I want to really write. Mm -hmm. And the Stringer job that I had was where I had to call on Friday night. I had to go in the newspaper and call all the high schools in Ohio, in the Cincinnati area, and ask them in northern Kentucky the box score for their football games. Or they knew to call us. Mm -hmm. So either way. And, uh, you know, we had to basically get the stats. So that wasn't very glamorous. Your name's not in the paper. And it was a big deal if you got to write a sentence like, you know, Lamar Jackson threw for 312 yards and four touchdowns in the uh, Wildcats win. Like that was your sentence. Mm -hmm. But then it was yours, but your name wasn't on it. So then I was like, man, I'm writing and doing interviews for my school newspaper. And I said, Mike, could I write for the sports section or for the entertainment section? And he's like, hey, man, just give the people your clips. I'll tell you who to talk to. And so I started writing for the Cincinnati Post, which at the time it was the afternoon slash evening paper in Cincinnati. And that was the second biggest paper in Cincinnati. And it was a daily newspaper. So that was huge. Nice. So, yeah, you know, just kept going from there, man. But through that, I got to interview Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman and Derek Strong, who went to Xavier and played at the time for the Atlanta Magic. Mm. Uh, Ron Harper at the at the time was playing for the Bulls and he went to Miami of Ohio so we had a quote-unquote local angle so I got to interview him 
Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Dennis Rodman for a story I did on Ron Harper all while I was in college. So I got wow. to interview, interview them all in person. So it was that's amazing. Cool. Yeah. yeah, that's big. Um, well, you know, at this point, we're still early in your career, and already there's several instances where you are kind of seeing an opportunity and going after it. Uh, where you're, you're, you're sort of speaking up for yourself, um, which, again, you know, you, you know, I've, you're a very laid back person. Uh, like, how does where, where does that energy come from? Or how do you um, how do you push yourself? Or, or is that even pushing yourself to, to say, there's something I want to go after, I'm gonna go speak up. And, um, you know, why well, am you've known me since the 90s, man, I'm very like soft spoken and stuff. 95 to 99% of the time. Uh-huh. I'm also very, as you know, from talking to me over the years, I'm very passionate and I really care about what I choose to care about. Sure. And rap is, of course, people in my life that I love, but rap is the thing that I love the most. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be, you know, embraced and I wanted to be recognized as being good at my job. And I also knew my dad had given me this quote, uh, you know, to paraphrase, it's basically like, you know, people can complain and do all this, but people that really get on are the ones that create their own opportunities. And he gave it to me because he said that I was one of the people in his life that he saw that did that more than anybody. And he gave it to me when I was like in college because he saw all these things I was doing. And I just... I think it's a combination of a lot of different things, but mainly I knew as a 12 year old that I didn't understand the racial element of life really yet, but I understood Mm -hmm. that I was a total outsider trying to get into a world that didn't know me, didn't need me, and I had no connection to. So I had to like really think about like, how can I be involved And I knew that, and I believe that if you are good at what you do and you work hard and you're persistent, that you'll have a chance, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you get that chance, it's up to you to make the best and the most out of your opportunities. So that's how I did it, even though I'm laid back or quiet or not flashy and all that other stuff. When I got the opportunity to do interviews, I wanted to impress the rappers with how much I knew about them. Mm -hmm. knock on wood that still happens today all the time you know they're always like man how'd you know that (laughs) or oh man you remember when i said that at a conference and i was like yes because i was there and i was like mesmerized daddy sonic just told me that wow um you know a week or two ago nice but that's because i love stetsasonic they're the first hip-hop band and i grew up like this is phenomenal and i got to meet them all in 96 when they were Mm -hmm. in washington dc and that was like amazing to me because I love Stetsasonic and they were, you know, I grew up and seeing go-go bands and stuff, but for rap, they were unusual and they were the yeah. first rap band, the hip hop band as they were known as. So, and I loved their music anyway, but they had this other thing that mm-hmm. made them unusual. Mm-hmm. So when they were at the rap sheet convention, shout out Billy Johnson Jr. for giving me the opportunity for that. But to meet them in DC in 96, I was like, okay, I got to study what they have to say because I, you know, I'm trying to be 
on the same level or respected or whatever is Tetsasonic. Like that will though that's how I looked at everybody. Right. You know, I, I just wanna be like I wanted to be in one of the that circle. Mm-hmm. Um do you still feel like an outsider? Yes and no. I mean, yes, in the sense that I'm still not where I want to be career-wise. Okay. But I still feel like, um, like I want to write more books. I want to write scripts. I want to have documentaries, and I want to be like the go-to person for books, for documentaries, and for feature films. Mm. And I'm not there yet. I'm the closest in books, but I'm not there in books, and I'm not there in movies. Sure. I'm not I'm not there in documentaries. So that's still why I feel like an outsider and I have a tremendous drive because I'm not there yet. And then I feel like I'm not an insider anymore because or an outsider anymore, excuse me, because of the amount of acclaim, shout out, support or whatever I get from artists from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, 2000s, yeah. 2010s, and even till today that I get on a regular basis. You know, I've been thanked in 30 or 40 albums. I've, uh, you know, Ice-T supports me all the time. Dana Dane supports me. LL Cool J supports me. Uh, Ice Cube supports me. Dr. Drake gave me a quote from my book that I was able to use in my promotion. Nice. Gucci Man, Gucci Man, let me write a book with him. So it's, it's, uh, amazing that i've gotten to where i have and like people like dana dane and exhibit you know i have like personal relationships with them and go to their house or they come to mine or Mm -hmm. you know i'll just like talk to people on a friendship level outside of interviewing them and i have that type of relationship with dozens of artists probably hundreds but it's just um you know that's very gratifying but i i want to be like if whoever wants to write a book, I want them to be like, man, we need to have Soren write that because he's the best at that. Or as things go, like if there's a new biopic coming up, I want someone to be like, man, Soren is really the expert at this. We got to have him write it. Or a documentary. Like I've written and produced for VH1 and for Fuse. And I have my own YouTube channel, Unique Access Entertainment, where I do a lot of interviews. So I'm trying to build that stuff up even more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as that continues to grow, that's what drives me and makes me still feel because I'm not inside in that world yet or those right. worlds. Sure, so sure, sure. I'm trying to get there, you know. Nice. So, um, you know, you talk about your body of work and and I want to dig into a couple of them in particular. But but in your bio, I think it says you've written over thirty five hundred interviews um, and then obviously a lot of stuff more than that. I'm sure that's not interviews. Um is a maybe it's a weird question, but what have you learned from all that? Uh, I've learned so much, but I've learned that I love this and I live my dream. But I've also learned that for me, and what I've noticed that the artists tell me, the publicists tell me, the people now with YouTube on comments tell me is that I let the artist talk and it's never about me, it's about the artist. And that I've noticed, especially in the last 10 to 15 years of quote unquote journalism has really separated me because sure. 
it's not about me. Like if I write a book with Gucci Man or he and I work on a book together, it's more important because it's Gucci Man. It's not about Soren Baker. It's about Gucci Man. So it's mm -hmm. it's in his voice. It's his vision. It's his thing that I'm helping to bring to life to help articulate. And with the history of gangster rap, the book that I put out before uh, the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness, it was about telling these guys stories and the women's stories. It's not about my stuff, but I wrote the book and I had more than 35 original interviews for the book alone. And then all the interviews, as many as possible that I used that were archival were my interviews mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be like, oh, well, he said this to Rolling Stone or he said this to the New York Times or LA Times if it wasn't to me because how I interview people I've realized from decades of experience now is a little different because of how I ask or what I ask. And that's just because of me making it about the music. And sure. I've, lear I've learned that people really, really appreciate and enjoy that because mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I always find things interesting, but if it's not specifically music related, then or tied to something else that they want to discuss, then it's not my business per se. They say the dope on fleek. I know that these niggas get sick of me. These chains on my neck cause a meal of peace. I don't even like to freestyle for free. I put in the key and I ride the beat. I don't even come out the house for free. I pay a nigga. No, I get it. And and I think, you know, you're right. The uh, you know, the the culture of journalism and especially social media and and um, you know, what we might call casual journalism, you know, people having their own YouTube channels or like this show, right, is to is to make it about you f first, oftentimes. Um, and I and I think there's a there's a certain um, there's like a self-confidence that comes out of uh, not doing that. Right. That that uh, your ability to be you know, to be on camera and not talking about yourself. I think that's, that's big. Yeah. Um, well, one quick side note on that thing that really blew my mind one time was, uh, I've been listening to DJ quick since around the time I could drive or a little bit before, or was even of age to drive. Mm -hmm. And so that's when he came out. Well, quick is the name. So yeah, it was before I could drive. And then, fast forward to when he put out his trauma album you know and he thanked me on the album and i the next time i saw him which was a week or two it was the week of a week after the album came out or something i saw him and i just put him to the side just so i could have a quick thing i just said quick man i really appreciate you thanking me on the album you know i've been listening to you since you came out or since i was aware of you mm -hmm. you know all the way in maryland and he was like soren you got fans too, man. And like DJ Quick, for as accomplished as he is, as brilliant as he is, and all the times I'd interviewed with him and sat down with him, and he knew who I was before I met him back in the 90s and all this stuff, like that type of thing lets me know that my mission at least is working for myself and that mm -hmm. what, I, what my goals are, are working because the amount and the level of appreciation I have for Quick and his music and what he's contributed to rap, to hip hop, to also film and different things that he's embarked upon is immense. 
Mm-hmm. And for him to thank, to he didn't, I didn't ask him to thank me. He just did that. You know, I saw it when I opened up the artwork, you know, I had right. no idea. Right. And um, then for him to say that to me is just amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I, that that's great. And I'm sure that's really gratifying. I think we, we forget sometimes that artists are fans too, right? That they're fans of, of each other. They're fans of the culture. They're, you know, um, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, you, you mentioned Dub C. And so the first time I met Dub, I was interviewing him for a magazine. And uh, and somehow he said, you know, if I if I couldn't do this for a living, I had to go work a job, I would still be making music on the weekends. And that stuck out with me, you know, as something that like, you know, when I had the opportunity to manage him, that was a big part of, you know, drawing me to him was like, yeah, this is a guy who's lives his life around the culture. And, uh, and it's more than a job to him. And I think that's true of most artists, but we kind of forget that. Yeah, I agree. Hey, if you're enjoying this one um, and you want to go deeper into hip hop journalism, we can go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my interview with Sharath Sharian, the founder of Hip Hop DX, where Soren used to work. Uh, he's got some great stories about building that brand and and uh, and some other other brands he's built in hip hop as well. You can check that one out after you finish up here with Soren Baker. Um, so you did step out of the shadows a little bit. You, you have the, I'm the white guy series, um, which I know you wrote, uh, with Jay-Z Snoop is, am I missing one? Tech nine is the other one. Tech nine. That's right. Um, and so that, that's like, uh, a little more about you, but, but ultimately you're, you're, you know, really focused on the artists. Um, so tell me about that decision though, to be you know, a little more out front or even with uh, unique access where you're on camera, which is well, just different than being a print journalist. Yeah, those are very related, but very different at the same time. So okay. chronologically, the I'm the White Guy series, which is available on Amazon. I have the I'm the White Guy, the Tech Nine edition. I'm the White Guy, the Jay-Z edition. And I'm the White Guy, the Snoop Dogg edition. And basically, I'd written my first book, The History of Rap and Hip Hop, which came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. And that was primarily for middle schools. So it's a, you know, it's a book for libraries and schools. And when I wrote that, you know, it did well. Ice Cube actually told me that his son, which I assume was O.S.A. Jackson Jr., like read it at the time and loved it. So that came out in 2006. And again, this is like Ice Cube going out of his way. He didn't have to tell me that, but he did. And I was like, man, that's huge. But, you know, I wrote that book and then I didn't get, I had one or two books things that didn't materialize and as you know you know you can have 10 things you're doing and one of them happens and that's like oh that's a blessing but i as i was climbing in my career i didn't necessarily understand and appreciate that fully um so i didn't have any books immediately come up after that and i was really disappointed and one day i was in barnes and noble and I just, I'll never forget, I was just looking at the books and I saw that Britney Spears had a book. And I was like, oh, it's about celebrity <laughs> more than it is about writing. Sure. And I was like, well, when I got in this stuff, as you can probably tell, I had no 
desire to be famous or any of that. I just wanted to be involved in it. And then I wanted to be in the rooms and I wanted to be revered among the people that mattered to me and try to make a living out of it. Mm-hmm. But by the time we get to 2006, seven, eight, whatever it was, and I was frustrated and I was just like, man, Britney Spears, I don't know, but maybe she can't even write a paragraph, but she's got this number one bestseller. She's all in Barnes and Noble. And I was like, why aren't I? And I was like, I don't want to be famous, but what can make someone that doesn't know anything about me, never heard of me buy a book that I wrote that's about me or about, or just that I wrote. And I just remember when I would be in college and I would go back for the summer or breaks or something I remember I would always take pictures with all the artists because I didn't know that I would get the job that I had. Mm-hmm. So when I met Chuck D or I met Jay-Z or I met Snoop Dogg, I always asked them, could I take a picture? Because if I had ended up getting a normal job eventually, I wanted to have that memory of when I met them the one time I met them. Right. And I did that more for myself or that was it. But I did it with everybody possible because that's how much I love them. So as I was thinking of it, I was like, my friends, most of whom were black, were always joking because I'd be telling them like who everybody was in the picture. And then they'd always, it became like a routine. They'd be like, oh, and you're the white guy, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I'm the white guy because I was almost always the only white dude in the picture. Sure. So then I was like, okay, that's interesting. How can I make that into something that's palatable for an audience. And I was like, well, most people haven't met and worked with Snoop Dogg to the degree I have or Tech Nine mm-hmm. or Jay-Z. So I was like, rather than write one book, I was like, I'll do a little series of them and I'll make them primarily digital only through Amazon. Cause I knew I could self publish them. So I did that. And, you know, I didn't sell tens and hundreds of thousands of copies, but the people that bought them seemed to really like them. Yeah. And I did, you know, get good momentum and a good attention out of it. And I do, I am writing a movie with, you know, based on my experience tied to some of that stuff. Oh, cool. So I'm excited about that because Juicy J actually told me, I, I'm, I love three, six mafia. And one time I was in Memphis with them uh, for Memphis city, whatever their festival was called. Mm -hmm. And they put me on stage with 3-6 Mafia in the middle of the show and everything. But before they went on, Juicy J pulled me to the side. He's like, Soren, man, you're like that dude in Almost Famous, except you're the rap version. And I was like, you know, you're right. Uh, (laughs) So, But that all those things led me to believe that writing those stories was amazing because I've done writing, but like in the Tech Nine book on the White Guy, the Tech Nine edition, I talk about how I wrote and produced a DVD for him, and then I sold Tech Nine a beat that was on his Ever Ready, the Religion album, My World, and then I also wrote, produced, and directed a DVD for Tech Nine, the documentary. So mm. I to your point of seeing these things I wanted and then trying to get them. You know, I talked to Tech and his business partner, Travis O'Gwen, after I'd written and produced uh, the Ultimate Albums episode for VH1 on Eminem's The Marshall Mathers LP. Then I took that 
tape around to all the record labels. And I was like, let me do this for your artist. Mm. Or let me do a similar thing, either a behind the music format, which is what I did with Tech Nine. Uh, so I did a couple DVDs with Tech Nine like that. I did one with Chingy like that. And I did a couple commercials and stuff. But, you know, that's a writer, producer, director that I, and, you know, that's on IMDb if people want to look it up. But, sure. Um, so that, that is what I detail in I'm the White Guy because it was through my getting to know Tech. He and I both loving Squee D, he and I loving rap, he and I appreciating all this stuff. And then my appreciating his work and knowing about him being signed to Quest Records when almost mm -hmm. no one knew that. Him being signed to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis when almost no one knew that. I built this bond with him over the years and with Travis O'Gwynn so that by the time I said, hey, I, got, I did this for VH1, let me do this for you guys. They were like, that's a great idea, let's do it. Or... I'd build up such a rapport with them so that when I'm playing them beats, they have an open ear and then they ended up buying one. So it's all those different types of things to where it's like, why can't I do that? You know, I don't look at in life and I think in entertainment, also people are always looking for a reason to say no to you. I always try to look at it like, how does, why does it make sense? Well, why can't I sell beats? All the rappers, that I admire and look up to my whole life have always told me like, oh man, that's your favorite song, that's mine too. And these are album cuts or whatever. So clearly mm. my knowledge in my ear and all this stuff is really good because they're telling me their stuff that they liked or my friends or my dad even could tell you so many times when I said this is gonna be huge or this person's gonna be gargantuan or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it happened and they'll tell you and like, so as we get to Unique Access Entertainment, my YouTube channel, which please subscribe if you haven't already, the thing is that celebrity, I realized that in my opinion, people that were on the radio or had YouTube channels or that were on television knew a lot less about rap than me, but for whatever reason, they were quote unquote famous or known sure. or entity. And they had those jobs that I wanted or that I felt I should have. And the artist told me, you should be that guy instead of that guy. And I'm like, well, help me get to that. <laughs> help me <do> that. <laughs> it's not that simple, of course, but it's sure. also not my personality to be like that. So with Unique Access, rather than not be on the camera, I made the decision to be on camera because I felt that when I'm sitting next to MC Ren or RBX or David Banner or Big Gip or whoever, and I'm on camera too, it's not about me, but the audience will then see like, well, wait a minute, these guys are with him. I've never heard of this guy. How did he get an interview with MC Ren? Well, mm -hmm. that's because I've known MC Ren since the 90s and I went to his house mm -hmm. to interview him. Or, you know, I, I build a relationship with a lot of the artists to where, knock on wood, and thankfully, if I ask them if I could do an interview, overwhelming majority of the time they say yes. And now that Unique Access is growing as a YouTube channel. I'm getting artists to help me and are referring me to other artists that I might not know or I'm yeah. not in touch with because, you know, they know me. But then more importantly, I just did an interview with them. So it's all working for that way. Whereas if I just did Unique Access where I wasn't on camera, you know, the channel would grow and all that stuff, which is cool. But then I wasn't sure 
and I still don't know if the unique access brand, whatever that ends up growing into, which I hopefully is the number one rap and then later on interview channel in the world. But until then, I could push unique access and me, and that's two things as mm-hmm. opposed to one, you know, mm-hmm. so. That's great. That's great. I love it. Um, I was watching the CJ Mack interview last night. That's my man, you know, I was spending a lot of time with CJ Mack. I love that yes. guy. Um, during during the, the shadiest one era, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm on um, the, yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness, because uh, that's a different kind of book. Um, it looks cool. It It's really, really well done. Um, like I said earlier, okay. I think it it brings, you know, a new dimension to this idea of personal development. Um, so talk to me about how that project, you know, your decision to, to get involved with that project. Obviously, Gucci is from a different generation than a lot of uh, probably the stuff that, you know, we've been talking about so far. And this is a different kind of book. It's not a biography. Um, so, you know, tell me about the decision to get involved in that and that experience of working with him. Well, uh, the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness was a huge opportunity for me because of a lot of the things you mentioned. I, as you know from knowing me, I love rap from every era, every region, every style. I've, of course, I have my preferences, but I love it all. Mm-hmm. So I've been listening to Gucci since 2005 when he came out. And, you know, I've always been a fan of his and I've liked him a lot. And, you know, when my manager got me in touch with a book agent and George Hinojosa got me in touch with Robert, uh, my book agent. And when that happened, uh, he was like, hey, I'd done a proposal not like this, but somewhat similar for a different artist. And he was like, hey, you know, Gucci Man needs a writer for that book. I know you did this other, you had this other idea. Would you want to do a kind of similar thing? It's not exactly the same, but it mm-hmm. is in the same atmosphere, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hell yeah, I'd love to work with Gucci Man. Because I had tried to work with him when he had the uh, Roderick Davis album, when he was okay. on Warner Brothers. But he had all the legal troubles that so didn't end up happening. I was going to do a commercial with him. I was going to write and produce and stuff. Anyway, so I'd been a a big fan. And then, uh, you know, they sent him my work. And then I just did a proposal. And he loved it. And he was like, man, this is great. You know, let's do it. And so I was very excited because I'm a big fan of Gucci Mane. And then also, I love gangster rap, but I love all rap. And it's mm-hmm. so funny, like Chino XL and I were talking via text one day and I was just telling him it's so funny because Chino XL was the first one to thank me on one of his albums, his, first, his debut album, Here to Save You All. Mm-hmm. And it was just funny because anyone that's familiar with Chino XL, he's not gangster rap at all. But I was just telling Chino, who I've known since college, that it was just funny that people think that's all I know about or all I like right. that don't know me. Sure, sure. And then... Uh, but we all get branded in certain ways. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm trying to brand myself is, you know, great writer, great interviewer, 
rap fan, screenwriter, author, journalist, these type of things to where, yeah, you know, I want to have those labels, but I don't want to be pigeonholed as much. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to do things that show I can write about anything. And, you know, the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness is a good step toward that. As far as my career, I would have done it even if it wasn't this totally different type of book. Mm -hmm. I would have wanted to do it anyway because I'm a fan of Gucci Mane. But coming off the history of gangster rap to then write the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness, this is a historical book. And then bringing it full circle with the history of gangster rap to the present day. Yeah. And then the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness is like a self-help, inspirational, aspirational book, which is, you know, I did with one person. Whereas mm -hmm. History of Gangster Rap, I talked to more than 30 people and I pulled a bunch of other interviews and then I had to write a story that took place from essentially 1985 till 2015 or 16 when mm -hmm. I, or excuse me, 2017 uh, or 18 when the book had to be finished to get it ready. So it's a very different type of process and a very sure. different type of writing, a different type of book. So I just want to show people I can do all this stuff, man. Yeah. Um, so what what'd you learn from Gucci? Well, Gucci and I have a lot in common. Mm. Um, may not look that way aesthetically, but we do. Um, we approach a lot of things. Yeah. Do you have a white fur coat? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I don't have a fur coat. All right. Never yeah. have. Not yet. Maybe he'll give me one. <laughs> but um, but the point is, is I learned that we have a lot in common. And one of the things that he, that we talked about in the book that was exciting was the idea of being focused and the idea that uh, taking the one thing he had seen from Lamar Jackson from the Baltimore Ravens of nobody cares work harder. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, back to the quote my dad had given me, like, you got to make your own circumstances. If everyone only knew the salacious, negative things that had happened to Gucci Mane, right. they would be shocked to see what he is now. And that just shows you that, yes, two or three or five or 10 or 20 people cared about Gucci Mane when he was down and out, but way more people care about him now, and he's right. successful. And, and people like, you know, in the United States and even in the world, we're a result-based uh, mm -hmm. system. And no one cares, you know, if you make a an album where their budget was $30, if they like it and they think it's great, it could get 7 billion streams because they true. like it. Yeah. Or if you spend a million dollars and you thought it was trash, then you just spend a million dollars and people think it's trash. So... Mm -hmm. Talking to Gucci really recentered and really reframed me for the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness of not caring about uh, things that are that you don't have or that are negative, the perceived negative things in your life or that are around you. You just got to work harder or figure out ways to make it work for you. And a lot of the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness talks about and speaks to that because what Gucci Man Guide to Greatness. Here's a guy that was close to 300 pounds that was incarcerated, whose body had almost shut down because of his lean addiction. Mm. And he talked about some of that in the autobiography of Gucci Mane, but the Gucci Mane Guide to Greatness, the new book, 
focuses a lot on his change in mentality and how that has changed his mind, his body, his spirit, his soul. He's now married and all these things that hadn't happened in his life yet happened when he was at some of the lowest points in his life and now I've changed it around and now he's arguably as successful, more successful than ever. Like the last book was a New York Times bestseller. We're going to find out relatively soon if this one makes the list and if it doesn't, hopefully it does over the holiday season because we mm-hmm. are in a pandemic and stores are shut down and all that. Right, right, right. But we've gotten a huge positive response so far and, you know, people are tagging me all over the place from Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. People I don't know, they clearly sure. are Gucci Mane fans or they happen across the book. So Gucci Mane, Guide to Greatness and Gucci Mane have taught me a lot and it's really helped me recalibrate, refocus and understand that you know we can make a difference in our lives and that has a ripple effect through others and gucci man is a you know prime prominent excellent example of that don't underestimate yourself don't think that what you're saying is not important don't think you can't achieve the impossible mm-hmm. now i love that and and i'm glad you said uh uh that nobody cares where carter is one of my favorite favorite lessons out of the book um I, you know I, I feel like that's my that's my mission in life is to teach my son that uh the only thing people cannot take away from you is your work ethic and and that that's really you know going to determine for all of us kind of where you know where we get to in life is uh is you know not just you know it's not just setting goals and and good intentions but it's putting in the work um yeah. There's no shortcuts to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so I love that one. Um, uh, he said there was another one in there about um, it's hard to look in the mirror and see the truth. Hmm. Right. And I think, um, you know, the little that I've studied about um, neuroscience and our, our self-perception, self-awareness has led me to believe that we as a rule, have a very poor self-awareness, um, but we think we have a very high self-awareness. And, uh, and so to me, that was a big one that, that jumps out. And I think especially celebrities or people in the public eye, but the truth is all of us have that, you know, we have this self-image um, or self-perception that, that often doesn't reflect reality. Um, how do you how how do you relate to that? Do you how do you how do you find that you know when again you're you're putting work out into the world um, and you lose control over how it's perceived and received and whatever um, you know how do you, how do you relate to the uh, sort of letting go of your own you know self-perception or or definition of of what's right or wrong? I think it's because I learned a long time ago that, you know, growing up in Maryland in a very racially, culturally, and economically diverse area. uh, For instance, I had kids that were, at the time, living in half a million and more homes in Maryland at that time, which was astronomical. And then I had people on welfare at my school living in the projects. Mm -hmm. So I saw the 
total opposite ends of the economic spectrum. Then I saw racism, and then I saw uh, the lack of equality as far as opportunity for education, for resources, family dynamics, all these things. And I realized that some of the white kids that were rich were the most unhappy people at my school. And I saw that some of the black kids or the kids on welfare, regardless of race, were very happy. Mm -hmm. So I very early on saw that money by itself didn't make you happy. So my goal was to be happy. And what made me happy was rap. Mm. <laughs> and what made me happy was playing basketball and mm. watching football and being with my friends and my family. So that's what I work on. And it's hard because I try to do a good job with everything in my life. Of course, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes all day, every day, like everyone does. But the other thing I've learned is I have refined a lot of my techniques and my schedules and my routine and my ritual constantly. Like mm -hmm. I don't wait. If I know I need to eat better, I don't, oh, I'm going to wait till the end of the month and then next month. No, 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 no. I start that day. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm eating a meal, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to finish this one because I already paid for this food, but then I'm going to not do this starting my next meal. Like, yeah. you know, one thing Gucci and I talked about in the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness is do it now. Like, why are you waiting? Like, no, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Like, yeah. food-wise, your body doesn't say, you know what, those extra 7,000 calories you ate, we're not going to count those. Like, no, mm -hmm. it does matter, and you ate them. So now you got to get rid of them somehow, or you got to use them. So I learned that very on, early on in my life to try to evaluate, look at things, like how does this benefit me, and how does this hurt me? And... That's why I've never drank, done any drugs, smoked anything. I've never done any of that because early on, not in my house, thankfully, but I saw at my school and my parents, friends and my friends, parents and all this, I saw the negative. And then, of course, on the news, in songs, mm -hmm. movies, I saw the negativity of all that. So I was like, why would I do that to myself purposefully? There's enough tough stuff I'm going to have to deal with anyway. I'm not going to add these 75 layers of potential problems to my life. Like, why would I do that? And Gucci yeah. talks about that in the book of like getting clean uh, in the Gucci man guide to greatness. He talks about not drinking and not smoking and not doing lean anymore and how much that's helped his life and how mm -hmm. much he's seen now that the people that do that or that were doing that in his life, how they don't have the same goals and objectives because their goal and objective is to get high. Mm -hmm. And his goal is to make money and be successful. That's not the same goal. Right. So, and they almost actually work against each other, actually. So, absolutely. They, um, it's those type of lessons that I saw very early on in my life so that, yes, I need to be better at adapting to technology as it happens as opposed to resisting it. That's one of my shortcomings. And I know that. But I also know that I've gotten better at it. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I should be and all that. But I'm also one person and I need to rest. So <laughs> part of, uh, you know, one of the self-help books or things that I did read, and Gucci and I talked about this for the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness, was, you know, the four agreements. And mm -hmm. one thing is... 
you know, always do your best. And in the lesson, that's the fourth agreement. And that agreement also says your best is going to vary depending on the day, depending mm -hmm. on how you feel, depending on what's going on in your life. So you have to be disciplined and be focused and be all these things, but you also have to know you can't work every second you're awake. Sure. You can't shun fun. You can't shun all these things. Ironically, Gucci had a, has an entry in the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness that says, I don't do things for fun. Mm. But he also says, you know, you have to build time to have fun. Mm -hmm. But when he's doing everything, even if it is having fun, it's for a purpose. Like, oh, I've been working seven days straight. I need to take a day off and not be online. I need to go take my wife out to dinner. I need to play with my kids. I need to watch a movie. I need to do these things. And that's part of life. And that's part of like learning this self-evaluation that I'm doing the best that I can the majority of the time. And there's some of the time I'm not doing the best I can. And I try to shrink that window as much as possible, but you know, I need to sleep and I need to relax and I need to do things. And that for me, that's how I try to adjust to that is try to reduce, eliminate, minimize, and not have those things have a lasting effect on me. Even when I know I make a mistake or I screw up or I do something wrong, I try to learn from it as opposed to let it, letting me beat myself up because of it. Mm -hmm. That's good, man. And that's lifelong work. Um, uh, but it's, it's important stuff. Um, well, it's a great book, man. I hope everyone goes out and picks it up. Um, I'm Thank enjoying you. it. I appreciate you writing it. Um, I want to get to a quick lightning round before I let you go. But um, but tell me what you what you're working on next. What's coming up, and what are you what are you most excited about? Well, I got a couple books in the works. Um, hopefully, soon I'll get to contract and signed and off and running. Nice. I have a script that I wrote that's a true story. 99, 95% true story about uh, rap stuff that I'm very excited about. And then I have uh, my book, The History of Gangster Rap, got optioned. So I'm, nice. trying to, I'm trying to make that into a series or a documentary, either or or both. So those are some of the things that I'm working on now. And then I'm trying to keep growing Unique Access Entertainment. You know, it's tiny in the grand scheme of things. It's got 25,000 subscribers. So I'm trying to get that up to, That's great. you know, 250,000 and then 2.5 million subscribers. And, you know, I realized that those are my goals and those are the things that I'm doing. And of course, you know, to my daughter, I want to be a phenomenal father. And to my woman, I want to be a phenomenal partner and soon husband and all this type of stuff. So Nice. All these are my goals and what I want and, you know, to be a great son and a great friend and all that type of stuff, which is by default for me, at least. But career wise, you know, I'm just trying to live the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness principles every day as much as possible as I, you know, build what I'm trying to build with Unique Access Entertainment on YouTube and as a destination. Uh, and then with my television and film endeavors to get them to where they are. And I'm excited because one of the scripts that I wrote 
you know, a big producer really liked it and walked me into like a big company. Mm-hmm. They ended up not doing it, but mm-hmm. the point that this established producer who's produced films with Bruce Willis and Sandra Bullock and all these things thought enough of my script to take me into a major studio shows me that the scripts that I'm writing are at least good enough to get in the door and have these opportunities. So I'm hoping that when my first one really gets moving on a big scale, that that's going to open up a whole other world to me. So I'm very excited about that. That's great. Well, excited to see what comes up next. Um, Okay. Let's do a quick lightning round. What's your favorite city to travel to? Well, now that I live in Los Angeles, it's to go home to Maryland. Okay. So I love Baltimore and Washington because I'm from there. But I also find that it's a very special place in the sense that it's very uh, diverse mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think we get as much in a lot of the other parts of the country I've been to. For sure. Um, you know, we have... At my school, for instance, we just, it was almost like either a United Nations or a Benetton ad, depending on how you want to look at it. We had like a couple of everybody. Yeah. It was majority white and then black, but, you know, we had Hispanic people there. We had Asian people there. And when I say Asian, I mean Chinese, Korean, and uh, Japanese. It wasn't just like Mm -hmm. one group. Like we had an array, granted not a ton, but we had them. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that showed me a lot very early on of the worldwide diversity. So, you know, I love going to Maryland and to Washington, D.C. And then, uh, but yeah, I've been to, I think, 13 or 14 countries. And I've been to more than 30 states. So nice. I do love traveling and I miss it. But, sure. you know, hopefully. Me too. Once, once the restrictions get better and things are safer, that I'll get to get back out on the road a little bit more because I miss it. Yeah, no doubt. Who's your favorite DJ? Uh, I would say the two best I've seen in person are DJ Scratch and DJ Aladdin in their primes. And then the best on record of just imagining, even though I saw him, it was much later. So I didn't see him, quote unquote, with vinyl. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different, as you know. Mm-hmm. But Jazzy Jeff, I always thought on record, was the most amazing to me. For and sure. then DJ Scratch and DJ Aladdin, I saw them both at their peak. Uh, DJ Scratch I saw with EPMD, which was phenomenal. I saw nice. him at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, with the Hit Squad tour. Mm-hmm. That was astounding. And then at the Rap Olympics battle with Eminem, where he came in second place, DJ Aladdin, happened to do a set there for whatever reason and yeah, i saw cool. i saw him in that so that would have been like 97 ish nice well not early in his career but still to where he was as you know from low profile an astounding oh, yeah. live dj so incredible for sure those three are, those three are my favorites okay all three great djs um what's the last great book you read other than the gucci man guide to greatness <laughs> um uh there's several but uh i think one of my favorites even though i read it a while ago is me to we Hmm. which is also it's 
it's a journey about two brothers that do a lot of philanthropic work. Mm. And I would highly recommend that to people. It's cool. a very inspirational story. And it shows you that as I try to live my life, you know, one person does start to create that ripple effect and does make a chance in the uh, change in the world. And, you know, I try to do that positively, but we have to remember that happens positive and negative. <laughs> so Absolutely. Yeah, that's for sure. Got, uh, that book is just a big thing for me. Um, you know, I've read several books recently that I thought were okay or whatever, but that one still resonates for me. And I read that several years ago. But, nice. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, me too. We. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Uh, it's probably my favorite movie, Hollywood Shuffle. Okay. It's a fantastic um, movie. That's my favorite movie. It was made, I believe, in 87. And mm -hmm. sadly, most of what they talk about in there still applies today. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you watch it. And then two other movies that I've seen a disproportionate amount of times, which for me is getting close to double digits. I don't sit around and watch movies multiple times, really. But... Mm -hmm. One of my favorites is The Prestige with Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. Okay. And then another one is Apocalypto. So, uh, but Christian Bale, to me, I would love to do a book with him, but he, to me, is the best actor ever. Like, I nice. think he's phenomenal. So, All right, we'll send this to him. Please do. <laughs> no Let's doubt. Send it up. Let's make um, it last question. If, if I worked for you, uh, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Uh, some of my main sayings are interesting. There it is. Is that right? Uh, what's the one my dad? Fair enough. I try to keep things short. Okay. But, uh, but my dad always thought it was funny. One of the things I say to him a lot and we joke about is, oh, well, because it's like, if it is already happened and done it, oh well. Mm -hmm. You know what can you do at this point? You know, yeah. try to try to make it better next time, or you know, like we talked about today, just do a better job. You know, mm -hmm. but oh well. You know, it is what it is. That's great. That's a that's a very evolved perspective. Well, Soren, I appreciate you doing this with me, man. This is so much fun. Um, like I said, everyone should go out and get the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness. Uh, definitely check out Unique Access Entertainment on YouTube. There's a lot of good stuff on there for hip-hop fans. I'm, I'm, su I'm sucked in now. Um, and, uh, dude, I'd love to have you back anytime. We got something to promote. Well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man. I appreciate you doing this with us. Hey, that was Soren Baker on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Let us know what you think. You can hit us with a, a comment on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. You can always leave us a review on iTunes. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.